We're in a sermon series on the book of Genesis. What a great book. What a fantastic book. It's been a ride. We're not done it yet. This morning, we're coming to a really great passage in Genesis. And here to read from God's word is Carol. Carol. This morning's reading is taken from Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God's face. It is because I saw God's face God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So it's Advent season, as, as Kiernan said earlier. We're in the, the four weeks now leading up to Christmas Day. It's a season of waiting, a season of hope waiting. Waiting is hard. Do you remember when you were a kid and you knew the presents were coming? Maybe you could even like see the presents there in the room wrapped in paper and you had to wait? That is hard. That's, that's hard for kids. It's hard for anyone, if we're honest. It's, 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 not, it's hard to wait. Uh, it was hard for Jacob to wait, the Jacob in our passage. Um, many years before, Jacob's mother was pregnant with twins, Esau and Jacob, they would be named. And God made a promise. While they were, those babies were in utero, he made a promise, and he said that the older would serve the younger. That is to say that Jacob would be blessed. Jacob was chosen to be blessed. Blessed is an important word in Genesis. What we've been seeing so far in this series is that the world falls into sin by Adam and Eve, the first human beings, by their, by their willing decision. The world falls into sin and is cursed, but God has a plan to bless the world as far as the curse is found. 
And God chooses specific people to carry that blessing. It began with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. They are, they're chosen to receive blessing and to carry blessing. That blessing might go global to every tribe and nation. So, Jacob, the promise is over his life, blessed. The blessing. But what you find in his life and how he actually lives, what you, what you see in his character in these narratives, is a constant grasping, grasping at blessing. He can't wait for blessing. He is going to get it on his own terms, in his own time, my way. He came out of the womb grasping, grasping the heel of his brother. That's what his name means, Jacob. It means he grabs the heel or simply he deceives. Jacob is, as he grows to a young man and into young adulthood, and he's willing to step on anyone to, to, to get his way, his blessing on his terms. He is absolutely stubborn. He is chosen for God's purpose of redemption, and he is absolutely set on his own way of going about life and seeking what he wants, dead set on his way. There's, a, there's an old question from uh, physics. It's kind of like a thought experiment. What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? In this case, the irresistible force is God's desire to bless, his goodness, his goodwill. And the immovable object is human selfishness and stupidity and autonomy, like what we see in Jacob. What happens? What happens is you get a fight. You get the passage that's in front of us. Uh, As we look at it together this morning, I'm going to organize my thoughts in two parts. Uh, The first being that God wounds the self-reliant. And the second, God gives a new name. So first, God wounds the self-reliant. Last Sunday, we saw Jacob on the road, leaving home. And today, where we're looking, Jacob is on the road again, but it's 20 years later. And he's not going away from home, he's going back to Canaan. He's going back to where he grew up, and he knows that he is going to meet Esau, his twin brother, the brother that he swindled. The brother who, who swore to kill him, he's going to meet that brother. He can't hide. He knows it. In the passage before, where we're looking at, Jacob sends messengers. He says to them, go to Esau and tell him, your servant Jacob has returned. So the messengers go, and when they come back, they say, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to you. And there are 400 men with him. Which sounds a lot like a military force. It sounds like the heavy artillery is now now headed straight towards Jacob and his camp and his family and his children. 
I would ask a question at this point. Why is Jacob going back? Of all the places in the wide world that Jacob might go, why on earth is he going back to Canaan? The answer to that question is that the Lord told him to. Again, before the passage we're looking at, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, your relatives, yes, your relative, and I will be with you, the Lord said. What you're seeing, what's going on here, is that the Lord has put Jacob in an impossible situation. He's in an impossible situation, and the reason is the Lord put him there. And it's the night before they meet. It's the night before Jacob is going to meet his brother. He knows that. Verses 22 to 23. Look there with me. Jacob sends his family across the stream. He needs to be alone tonight. He can't even look at his family, at his children. He's all alone in that place. Verse 24, and a man wrestled with him. In the dark of night, a man just shows up where Jacob is and wrestles him for hours. This passage is shrouded in mysteries. The identity of this, of this man is not revealed explicitly. But as the passage goes on, it, it becomes clear, abundantly clear, it's the Lord. It's the Lord God in human form. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, it seems that this mysterious man has um, human limitations, it seems. He could not overpower Jacob, it says in the text. He saw that. But at the same time, he has almighty power. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip and is dislocated. Now, another translation says, he touched the hollow of his thigh and his hip was dislocated. This is not obvious in the English passage in front of us. Um, I want to follow Dr. Tim Mackey. He's a Hebrew expert with the Bible Project. And he says that the hollow of the thigh is a good translation. And that means like the inner thigh. The inside of the, th- the, 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 the inner thigh. So this is his argument. And I... Th- I want to follow this argument. His his argument is that this is effectively a punch in the groin. God punches Jacob in the groin so hard that he dislocates Jacob's hip. Okay. And why? (laughs) Follow the logic here. This begins to make sense when you see that blessing in Genesis is all about life, being fruitful, multiplying, and descendants, many descendants, many children, many offspring. God said to Abraham, I will bless you 
and I will make you a great nation. Those being effectively the same. I'll make you a great nation with many descendants. Jacob has inherited that promise from his grandfather, Abraham. But rather than trust God, rather than simply take him at his word, Jacob has lived his life trying to get the blessing in his way, on his own terms, in his timing. To give just one concrete example, in the camp nearby, Jacob has not one wife, but four wives. The text says he sent his two wives across, to, across the stream and his, his two servants. Um, they're effectively his wives. He has children with them. Okay. And Jacob's groin represents the way that he has sought blessing on his own terms. And God wrestles with him, and God punches him there. God confronts this man. He wrestles him. He even wounds him in the bullseye of his autonomy and his selfishness. Now, I want to ask a question at this point. When you hear the word blessing, a blessed life, rich blessing, what do you, what do you think about, I wonder? What, what kind of pictures come to mind? We're like Jacob in this way, okay? You and I have a strong tendency to make up our, our, our own definition of blessing and to pursue it. And not lightly, to pursue it with, with like all of our energy and our skill and our creativity and our money to go hard after that thing. Whatever that thing is, it's not just an interest. Or it's not just your job. Or it's not just your child that maybe you hold in your arms. Or it's not just something, however you fill in the blank here, okay? It's not just that thing. It is your way and your idea to blessing in your life. And I believe that the word of God to you today and to us to me, is stop putting your hope, all your hope, on that thing. Whatever it is, it is a good thing, I'm sure it is, uh, but the powerful temptation of your heart is to make it your ultimate thing. God made you to seek ultimate blessing. He did. You have that powerful impulse in your heart because God put it there. But hear this. He made you not to seek ultimate blessing in something. He made you to seek ultimate blessing in someone. Someone who also wrestled with God. Alone at night. Wrestling with God in an impossible situation, facing judgment and the cross the next morning. Your blessing is in him who went to the cross and God struck him. God wounded him, but not for his own sins. God struck him because he identified himself with the sins of you and me, the sins of the world your sin and my sin. 
And God did not just dislocate his hip. God struck him down, his life, his very life. He died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And three days later, he was not dead anymore. He was walking again, not with a limp, but walking, alive and walking with the nail marks in his hands and feet, alive with the marks of death on his body for us. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're holding on tight to something or some idea or some desire. You're grasping at some thing, some idea of blessing. And I say to you that it's time to start holding on tight to Jesus Christ. So let's turn to him together, Grace West Mission Church. Let's turn to him. We don't always do this. We don't always pray in the middle of a service, but let's do that now. Let's turn to him together. And I invite you to follow me as I pray and to let this prayer be yours also. Let's pray. Lord, you know us. You know everything. You know how we have our own ideas of blessing. We confess that thing to you now. We name it now before you in the silence of our hearts. Father, hear us. Father, these are good things. You hear them all. But they cannot satisfy us in the way that we want, that we long for. We pursue these things and we, we tend to hurt ourselves and hurt others. In the process, we are weary. We want to turn to Jesus and lay hold of him. We admit that we cannot bless ourselves. We want him to be our blessing. Bless us, Lord. Hear our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You know what's amazing about Jacob? God strikes him in that way and dislocates his hip. He strikes him so hard. And what is Jacob doing after that? He's still holding on. You see what he says? I will not let you go unless you bless me. Grace West, let's, let's admire that. <laughs> that. That tenacity. Let's admire that and let's imitate it. Let's be like him. Let's turn to Jesus and hold on him with that intensity. All your strength. And when you do that, when you, when you turn to him, when you hold on to him for blessing, when you say, I will not let you go unless you bless me, when you come to that vulnerable place, what do you find? He gives you a new name. A new name. I heard a story earlier this year about a young man who found himself trapped in addiction. 
And his addiction was to pornography. Uh, but not as someone watching the films. It was for him as someone in the films, in front of the camera. He had moved to Los Angeles uh, wanting to be an actor, uh, wanting the success and the, and the fame and that lifestyle. That, would, that, that to him was, was blessing. He might not have used that word, but that was, that was the desire. That was a blessed life. Um, the plan was never to get into that particular kind of cinema, if you can call it that. But on a chance contact, uh, he decided to try one film, which led to two, and, and then dozens, and then hundreds of films. And what he found was that in the culture on the set, no one ever used his name. He had a pseudonym. And that's what everyone called him. And his agent. And at the gym. And his barber. No one in his life called him by his name. He said, it was like I, I, I didn't exist. He said. Reflecting on that time years later. He was at a bank one day, and at the end of the transaction, he turns to go, and the bank teller said to him, Joshua, is everything okay? And he realized at that moment that he had not heard his own name spoken for a year, and it crushed him. And the next day he quit everything. He called his agent, press release, quit everything, left California, ran for his life. Some years later, he's working at a gym and he asks a girl out on a date and she says to him, no. But sometime later she came back and said, I'll go for a run with you. Uh, so they meet up, and they're walking for a bit, and he says to her, Hey, I need to tell you something. I've done a little bit of porn. And after she um, didn't run away, um, he, he, he told his whole story. And when he gets to the end, she looks at him and says, You know... A person is not defined by the worst thing they have ever done. And a person is not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever accomplish, she said. I believe God defines who you are. God defines who you are. Another way to say that is to say that God gives you a name. And that conversation was the beginning of God giving Joshua a name. It's the name he was born with, actually. But the Lord gave it back to him. He lost it, and the Lord gave it back to him. And the name Joshua means the Lord saves. <laughs> the Lord filled his name with meaning and gave it back to him. And the Lord gave Jacob, in our passage, a new name. The name is the blessing. Jacob says, 
I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the Lord asks, what is your name? What's your name, son? And he answers, Jacob. The Lord says, no, no more. Your name is Israel because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. You have prevailed. So Jacob met God that night and he came away broken and named and blessed. And if you're someone considering the Christian faith here this morning, then I say to you, it doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or Taylor Swift. You can never make a name for yourself that is anything like the name that God will give you. He'll give you a name by sheer grace. It's a gift. You're invited to know Jesus, to come just as you are, and to let him put his name on you, the name that he will give you. And those of you who who believe, who are here this morning, I say to you, if you look to Jesus as your blessing, then you have a new name. You do. A new nature. And as an application here at this point, learn to celebrate your new name. By that, I mean the new name. I mean you have new ways of thinking and acting that resemble Jesus. And his spirit is at work in you to more and more shape your character, to more and more conform you to the image of Jesus and his name in you, powerfully working out itself. You have ways of thinking and acting that resemble Jesus. What are they, I wonder? Ask your friends. I'm I'm not joking here. This would sound like, for example, in, in a conversation with some trusted friend in, in the church community, this would, this, this would sound like saying to someone, um, I get totally discouraged and I become overwhelmed. I lose perspective. I chase after things. Can you help me? Can you, can, can you, like, Tell me any way that you see Jesus' name in my life, his, his character. And you're, you're, you're not, my friend, you're, you're not fishing for compliments, okay? That's not what this is about. You're a needy person looking for what you need encouragement. Yes, you do. And he's put his name on you. And you probably don't see it, the ways that that manifests. We need each other. Grace West, can we be vulnerable with each other like that? And can we help each other like that? We have a new vision in this church. You may have heard it recently. You may have read it recently. Um, it's going out on email to all, the, all the, um, the whole email list of Grace West. We want to be at Grace West being vision to be a church that is rooted in the word of God, growing in the grace of Christ, and bearing fruit in abundance. That second one, growing in the grace of Christ. How does it happen? 
Do we think that we grow alone? Like, so what you really need to grow is just podcasts and, like, books. I don't know. Do we think that we grow just by activities alone? Like a theological download, that's what you need to grow? Do we think that we grow alone? Do we think that we grow without vulnerability? No. We need each other to grow. We, we, we need vulnerable community and relationships to grow. So, together, let's grow together. Let's help each other to celebrate the name that he's given us, each one of us who look to Jesus as our blessing. So that together, we repent of the other blessings that we, that we chafe after and, and we raise to ultimate blessing. We, we, we t- together turn from those things and we together rejoice, rejoice and celebrate the name, the new name that he gives to his children and that he has put on you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this narrative of Jacob, for this man, for his life, for the, for the honesty of the Word of God. Um, we see, Lord, in this passage, your severe love for him. It's remarkable. And Lord, we bring to you these desires this morning that we will turn from whatever other blessing that we look to or some notion of of blessing that we, we have in our minds, that we will turn and lay hold of Jesus. May your Holy Spirit and your almighty power by which you raised Jesus from the dead be at work in us and strengthen our hands to lay hold of him and to hold on and not let go in the midst of whatever wrestling and, and, and circumstances and difficulty we find ourselves in. May we hold fast on him by your power at work within us, not our own strength, your power, your immense power. Lord, we need it. We do not have it in ourselves. And so we are praying and looking at Jacob and his encounter with you and ultimately asking, Lord, for these things, that you may, Lord, help us who believe to know the new name upon us, the character of Jesus working in us and rejoice (laughs) that we will give thanks, that we will be lighthearted because you've given us a name that's worthy. Not of our own making, but of your gift. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.